I'm Ankur. And I'm Phoebe. And this is Arts Work. We work at Sadler's Wells, a leading dance organisation. And this is a podcast where we look at different roles in the creative industries and how you could find your way in. Today, we're talking about money. And money in a serious sense because this is all about fundraising. And that is what it takes quite often to get shows from an idea to the stage. Lots and lots of fundraising. Lots and lots of fundraising. This is your area. It's my you, area. You work in fundraising at Sadler's Wells. I certainly do. I went into fundraising deliberately because I really wanted to be a part of making these things come to fruition. And I knew that raising money was always going to be really crucial to that. You know, it's really jargony, actually, your area of the world, because... At Sadler's Wells, we don't call it fundraising. We call it development. What are the other terms? It might be called advancement. Ooh. <laughs> or just philanthropy. Have you ever done any fundraising in your time? I've done a crowdfund. Uh, I mostly watch you at work fundraise. In the context of, say, Sadler's Wells, 80% of our organization's revenue comes from ticket sales, which is amazing. So it almost makes us a commercial entity. But that 20% comes from a mixture of government funding, but also philanthropic income as well, and events and bars and that sort of thing. And I know in the US, that would be the reverse, right? The majority of an arts organization's money would come from fundraising. Exactly. I'm very fortunate in that, you know, in my kind of fundraising journey as a fundraiser, I've worked with a lot of Americans who really taught me how to say the words and say, so would you like to support something? And would you consider an amount of X or Y and really say the number and make the ask? Because quite often that is the thing when you ask someone, why did you give to this organization? Aside from the fact that they might really believe in the cause, they'll say, oh, it's because somebody asked me. So most of the time you've just got to do it. So will you describe to me the different ways in which fundraising happened? Yeah. So there's three income streams usually. There's corporates, uh, individual giving and trusts and foundations. So actually let's talk about trusts and foundations first off, because they're the only ones that exist to give their money away. They expect to be written to, to have a kind of grant form filled out. And they will say on their website, you know, here are the areas that we're interested in. This is how you can get in touch with us. We are open to applications at the moment or not. So there are trusts and foundations who are super interested in giving to the arts or the creative industries specifically. Yes. in those sectors. Exactly. Yes, there are. So corporate giving, that could be anything from, you know, a really big business or even like a restaurant down the road that wants to, you know, give your organization some kind of deal or promo. But generally speaking, when we're talking about corporate giving, it's think big businesses that are either interested in engaging you on a kind of branding or marketing perspective. And they say, hi, we really love what you're doing. We would like to pay for this particular event or this season or whatever it might be. Or you might be speaking to the corporate social responsibility side of their organization who are particularly interested in, say, I don't know, sponsoring or underwriting the cost of some work in the communities with schools or or something like that. And then there's individual giving, which is anything from someone who is giving five pounds through a text to donate all the way through to a really generous individual who might give you many multiple millions of pounds to create something really transformative for your organization. So who did you talk to this week? This week I spoke to Adelia Gantz. Adelia runs an organization called Fedora, which is really pushing the boundaries in fundraising. They're combining crowdfunding, corporate, individual giving and trust and foundations really in a, in a unique way that awards prizes to shows that have not yet been made, but it allows all kinds of people to contribute to that and to kind of be part of that process in terms of giving to the projects before they've even been made. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I would have thought that if I want to give my money, I should be able to give my money to anybody, right? Like at any time. And and you're saying to me, actually, 
in the way that things are set up, it isn't always that way. You can always give to an organization in that way. Yes. So anyone could give to Sadler's Wells tomorrow at any amount. Please do. And (laughs) you can donate in an unrestricted way and it just goes to supporting us in all that we do. But when an artist thinks of an idea and speaks to a creative partner and says, I want to... I want to dream up this incredible show. Usually that is not the point at which, you know, just anyone can can chip in and make it happen. It's often that there is a conversation with a theatre or a producer and they go and find funding from a very small group of either people or trusts or corporates or whatever it might be. Now, what Fedora is doing, it is opening up that avenue right at the beginning of the process Mm. for anyone to be a part of that. And not only anyone, but anyone in the world in even a tax efficient way, you'll be pleased to hear. Tax efficient. (laughs) Tax efficient. I'm excited to hear what that means. Exactly. Let's do it. Let's put it this way. I always was very much drawn to the performing arts and music. And thanks to my family, we always enjoyed going to concerts together to see performances. And I was especially interested in ballet and took classical ballet lessons for quite a while, never with the ambition to do this professionally, but just enjoyed dancing and especially the art form, the discipline, the commitment that that comes with all of that. And when it eventually came to deciding what to major in in studies. I went for the business uh, strand, but promised myself to apply all that knowledge and accumulated skills to the cultural sector. Yeah, here I am. (laughs) I remember you told me once that I think of your business school master's program, how many of you were in the cohort? And I think one or two of you have ended up in the arts or wanted to end up in the arts. I remember we were, yeah, like you said, 300 in our cohort and not many venture into the arts, but that doesn't mean that there's no interest. It's just that it's maybe not the most straightforward way of getting into the cultural sector after coming out of business. However, that is changing. And I've seen also that there are more and more specialized master programs also preparing people to go into the performing arts as managers that now over the last 10 years have um, developed more and more. So I'm really happy to see that for young graduates who are going into the performing arts world through that venue. That's really good. Why do you think fundraising is a topic that we don't hear about very often, say compared to marketing or about branding, but fundraising and philanthropy within this context is something that a lot of people are just like, how, how do you do that? How do you ask someone for money? Although there is all this notion about, you know, if you're dealing with sponsorship, for instance, where there's visibility for partners and logo visibility. On the other side, there's also a lot of philanthropy that happens where you're really working hand in hand with a philanthropist to see together how you can have the greatest impact with their generosity. And there's this notion of trust and discretion in that dialogue. And it's not necessarily something that goes beyond that conversation because people give because they want to make a difference and not because they want the entire world to know that they're going to make that difference. So sometimes that can also lead to the fact that there's maybe not a lot of visibility about how it actually works because it really comes down to the each give is different. Each donation Mm. is different and the way it comes about is different. And sometimes it takes years sometimes before someone actually makes a donation. And I think it's also all about, you know, timing and how do you say it's in French, you say it's broderie fine. It's like fine embroidery of each 
each donation and each story is so unique and it so much depends on the project, on the fundraiser on, and on the donor that um, there is not like one voice talking about how it should be done because, and that's what makes it also so challenging as well and also so stimulating because there's never, you know, the the way to do it. It always changes every time and it takes a lot of, you know, it's really intellectually stimulating as well, like how you go about and timing. I would say that's that's why maybe it's not so easy to just say this is the sector and this is how it works. One of my favorite parts of, of the job I do, which is thinking about a person, having spent time with them, and you really have to think about what is it that we could put together within our context of, you know, whether it's Sadler's Wells or wherever it might be, that would really make this person tick and go, yes, I want to be a part of that. That I want to associate myself with that. I want to see the impact that my support will have. On that note, I wonder what you think, Adelia, about what are the kind of skills needed to work in this industry? A fundraiser should be a very, very good listener. It really starts with that, to really having this interest in understanding the person you're talking to and being interested in understanding what matters, what is relevant, why, you know, understanding the why behind everyone, you know, why, why do we exist in this world? What kind of difference do we want to make? What motivates you? And it's so beautiful because it really allows you to be very conscious of the person you're speaking to and understanding. And by doing that, you're actually able to then match it with a project or an artist or an initiative that makes sense. Because I I, I see the profession so much about creating value by connecting dots and by building bridges between two entities, I would say, and we're helping them to find each other and bring them together. And so listening is so, so key in that process to to get it right, to understand and to really grasp what the donor's interest is. I would then also say you need a lot of patience and perseverance because timing is always so key in this profession and the linking of events or the to making also sense of what is now relevant and what can maybe wait. So there's a sense of prioritization that's also very key. Curiosity is very key and creativity as well, because you have to come up with maybe ideas how you can maybe create a value together that might not be evident in the first at a first glance. Being driven by what you do, being really passionate about what you do. I mean, that gives you so much energy, gives you so much motivation. And I think if you don't believe in what you do, you should just you know, shouldn't do it or she should reconsider. And I think that authenticity in your work and in your attitude comes across. And uh, being genuine is so important in this. And it's not about making, trying to sell something or trying to force someone to do something. It's really about creating value and, and connecting the dots, I would say. So yeah, listening, being passionate and being patient, I would say. Not to generalize too much, but to what extent would you say there are any cultural sensitivities that inform how effective fundraising might be in one place to the, to another? For performing arts specifically, I, I think is what I mean. You can definitely see that certain organizations, depending on where they are based in terms of location, in terms of city, if it's rural areas or if it's a more, um, also if it's a festival, if it's once a year or throughout the year, there are different ways and reasons for donors to give. And then it also changes depending on their culture as well. There are many reasons why people give. 
and why people want to make a difference through giving to the performing arts. And there can be different elements that play into that equation. So, of course, there's a tax cut. Of course, there is there are perks that come with why people want to maybe give to something because, you know, you benefit from special access to, you know, the artist, the performance, etc. But then there's also a lot about the impact that that donor wants to have with his or her donation and the outcome of that project or the impact it might have on the community. So you are the director of Fedora. Can you summarize in a sentence or two what Fedora is and also how it came about? Yes, so Fedora is the European Circle of Philanthropists of Opera and Ballet. It was created by our president in 2014, Jérôme-François Isnis, as a tribute to the first president of the organization around 20, 30 years ago now, uh, Rolf Liebermann, the great composer and um, opera house director who at the time had always encouraged collaboration across Europe and to support new work and emerging artists. So as a tribute to him, our president initiated a prize competition to support new work by emerging artists that are realized in form of co-productions. And over the last years, this is what we've been building. And what our mission is, is to encourage opera houses to give artists the chance to, to create new work for today, for the audience of tomorrow, that also will draw in the next generation of audiences and donors to build the future of this art form in society. I once heard you refer to it as it's about honoring work in progress. Yes, that's the way of putting it, yes. And Which is, I think uh, yes. we could all do with a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And because it comes with, you know, to make something happen, you need the initial boost. And so we see it a lot as enabling things to come to life with the trust and encouragement that it takes. So how did you get involved with Fedora? I think it was uh, all about timing, maybe serendipity. When I finished my studies, I did my stage de fin d'études, as it's called in France, the end of my business school studies. I did it in the philanthropy department of the Friends Association of the Paris Opera. And so that was my first uh, immersion into the opera world. I had volunteered before for two years in the performing arts world, but this was like the first time in the philanthropy department. During that internship, there was this conversation going on about, okay, let's launch Fedora, bring together opera houses, private donors, and set this up. And uh, I was very fortunate to be there at the right time and helped draw up the plan and speak also with the different stakeholders to have an understanding for the needs in the market at the time. And at the end of my internship, the thing was supposed to take off and I was there, I was finished with my studies and motivated to take on the challenge. And that's <laughs> how it came together. And I've incredible mentors along the way. And that's how it happened. It's been seven years and I didn't see them go by. <laughs> wow. Can you just tell us a little bit about those prizes and what they seek to do? So when our president created the Fedora Prizes, his vision was really to offer venture philanthropy to opera houses and ballet companies to encourage them to build uh, new work to reach the stage and to co-produce and tour this kind of work. And what we realized when uh, receiving applications was this incredible richness of ideas and creativity and bold, also cutting edge productions that artists are working on for tomorrow's stage. And what's so beautiful about this competition is that it does not support things that already exist, but it's all about investing in things that have the potential to become grand. And so that's why we 
allow our jury to completely make that decision on our behalf. And the jury is, of course, composed of the who is who in opera and ballet. And they're the ones who detect the potential, the quality, feasibility of those projects. And what's always so striking when we receive those applications, um, when you read through them and you see what kind of topics the artists are actually thinking about and talking about in their work. It's it's so on point and so much revealing about how opera and ballet are so relevant today because they're offering this new perspective and an alternative view on big topics that are all on our minds right now um, about the planet, about rights, about technical innovation and artificial intelligence and how that is going to coexist with people, how we are treating our planet, the response responsibility we have towards people from different countries or cultures. All of these elements are basically delivered in a conceptual format on paper and what's and then we present them on our platform and that's what makes it so special when you come to that platform because you basically see what will reach the stage in two years time once then the performances come to life and when you think about wow this is how it was described on paper several years ago, and then you actually see it, it's it's always mind-blowing and one of the greatest highlights in the year when we have those opening nights. Also to then go there with the donors who backed it initially and believed in it is such a special experience and giving them the opportunity also to speak with the choreographers and stage directors, composers. Um, it's, it's a great experience because you're basically taking part in that journey. And um, and I think that's also what's so important um, in the performing arts because it's all about, you know, delivering the perfect perfect version of the project on stage and to be magical, to, to really um, be so enticing and everyone is at its best. And and what's more, and in order to build the relationship is is also taking people along through what it takes to actually build that opera. And because that is not always done, that's why there's sometimes also this misunderstanding of, you know, what does it actually take to put together a show? And because of sometimes that lack of understanding, there's lack of knowledge that actually funds are needed to do that. And the understanding that there's coordinating so many people from so many departments and disciplines to actually make this happen. And and that's what we really try to do is to say, okay, this is the perfect product at the end, but come explore with us that entire journey and be one of the first initial investors who believe in it. One of the things I love most about Fedora Adelia is that you have not only enabled that kind of honoring the potential of the future and of future productions and things like that and connecting donors to that stage of the journey, but you have democratized that. It's not only the big major donors or whoever it might be that is sort of at that early stage of the project, you then have this voting stage where people can vote for, anyone can go online and vote for which project they think is great and should win in a particular category. And indeed, they can also support through crowdfunding as well. Yeah, it's, and it's also very important to us to build that ecosystem because, again, philanthropy, like you just said, it's not just the big donations. It's everyone can be part of it. And it's about also making everyone feel comfortable being part and have their role in that puzzle. And what's beautiful also to see in this voting and crowdfunding phase is that we are trying to actively also convert people who are interested through a vote to actually help them care and actually in a second step donate. And even if it's as of five euros, you know, uh, it can also be a bit more, but maybe that is the generation of people who will in maybe 
you know, one or two decades, be the next generation of major donors. And it's about planting those seeds today for the sector to renew itself, also from the financial point of view, in the next decades to come. Fedora is essentially a startup and it was incubated almost in the office that you were working in and then you've taken it out and you've grown it over the last seven years. So what was it like in the early days? How did you find your team? Absolutely an entrepreneurial journey and there is a lot of hard work in the beginning to actually set it up and to get everyone around the table. And of course, because it had this European scope, it was, you know, speaking with all opera houses and philanthropists across Europe and getting also their take on it to, to find how we would position and define the organization. And you cannot run such an organization without an amazing team. And I'm really happy to have incredible team members on my side who are so committed, so devoted to the cause and bring so much talent also to the table. And everyone is welcome to give feedback or to share their opinion because we we believe that diversity and more ideas can make the outcome more, you know, rich and also appeal also to the scope of audiences that we're speaking to across Europe. Cultural differences are so, so crucial to capture within the team. So sometimes when people say, or oh, what do you do? I say, well, I work in fundraising. And everyone's like, oh, people who give to things, it's because of the tax breaks, right? So that's what I'm often met with when people are talking about donating. But actually, we both know it's so much more than that. However, there is an element of tax which comes into this. And you've been working on a really exciting project around transnational giving. And I wondered if you could just outline that for us. Being a network organization of philanthropists and dealing with philanthropy across borders on a daily basis, for us at Fedora, it was very key to team up with an expert partner in this field, which is the Transnational Giving Europe Network. Why am I saying this is because we live in a Europe where the concept of free flow of money, goods and people is a given. However, that principle, unfortunately, does not apply yet to the free flow of donations across borders because of all the different legal and fiscal implications of each country. The challenge is always that if you want to support a cause in your country, that is possible and you get your tax relief on that donation. And obviously, this is completely depends on the national laws and where you're based. However, once you want to support a cause that is outside of your country of fiscal residence, that donation is not accepted by local authorities as a donation because it is a donation to another country that has different laws about nonprofits, etc. And we helped as a nonprofit organization to co-design that platform so that it would facilitate the process of online cross-border giving. So we were working on that together with another nonprofit organization, Common Goal in Berlin, which is in the soccer world, so a completely different world. And we worked with, um, especially with the Swiss Philanthropy Foundation in Geneva and the King Baudouin Foundation in Belgium to create this architecture of that solution. And we were the first nonprofit organization to embed it um, and link it to our website platform so that people who came to our platform since last year were able to benefit from, you know, you make a donation, you say where you're from and you get your tax receipt. That kind of transparency is so key and is really what donors are looking for today. Almost 80 nonprofit organizations are now using that system to raise funds across Europe for their causes, including the World Health Organization that last year definitely needed a boost of donations in order to fight COVID. 
thinking about some of the issues that I know Fedora are thinking about, which is the sustainability, equality, and digital transformation. Can you tell us a little bit about those issues? Because that's something which I know is in your next phase. Especially last year and year of lockdown and COVID, um, we conducted a lot of conversations with our members across Europe and give uh, on the funding side and also on the performing arts side and and followed a lot about the policy making that was coming out from the European Commission. And so we believed that it's really important that the opera and ballet sector, who are so badly hit by COVID, that there is really a reinvention that is going to be necessary going forward and to position and to secure, safeguard also that industry for the 21st century in terms of relevance and sustainability from a, you know, ecological, but also from a business point of view. We came up with this idea of saying, okay, before policymakers come to organizations maybe to give directives on how to maybe change an operation, organizations should be the ones to make that choice for themselves and proactively decide how they want to set up their organizations in order to survive and thrive in the future. In order to drive this change, opera houses should become like a beacon of hope and an example, a role model, since they're always, you know, such physically visible centers that people can look towards in all these city centers to drive that change and to have a stake in that um, future that is going to be developed by all of the stakeholders in Europe and our world. You know, it's our lives. It's our next generation. It's going to be living in that world. And what kind of world do we want? All these opera houses define together that around the areas of sustainability, green initiatives, diversity and inclusivity and digital transformation were three core areas that need to be tackled within the next upcoming years. Rethinking how we source, produce and disseminate content. It's really that holistic sustainability approach that we're trying to drive through those three areas, green, equal and digital. It's so inspiring and you're so right. And Fedora is really well placed to to do that because of the, the network that you have and your member organizations. We should be proud and hold ourselves accountable to the best standards across diversity and inclusion and sustainability and digital because we hold ourselves to such high standards in the art that we produce. I also wanted to say that when embarking on this journey, we are not alone in this because um, we're really happy to build this together with uh, Opera Europa. So Fedora and Opera Europa are driving this and we we're going to actually start out with a, a market survey to have a clear understanding of where the opera and ballet sector stand today in these areas and then to identify together um, what the challenges are and what also the strategic plans are of different opera houses that they want to reach in the upcoming years. And we, both of our organizations, Opera Europa, who has an extremely strong network across Europe with 200 opera houses, are um, we're really, really happy that this is coming at this moment and together with, you know, our efforts on the philanthropy side and their expertise, we want to really, you know, boost this. And we're really happy that already 45 companies in 17 countries have committed to this initiative. It's a huge task, but I'm a big believer that it's not, uh, this sounds ironic on a podcast that's talking about fundraising. It's not always about the money. It's not always just about the lack of resource to, to make that change. Some of it's just about adjusting your criteria, perhaps. What else do you think it might be about? 
Um, I think it's going to be a lot also about capacity building and knowledge sharing. And so one of the aspects of this initiative is also about bringing in experts from outside the performing arts fields who have done these kind of transformational works in their own organizations that maybe are not at all related to the performing arts. But um, there's so many parallels that can be drawn up between industries and this cross-learning and cross-sharing can be extremely valuable for both sides. Really investing in knowledge and capacity building and general awareness also in communications is going to be really important as well so that the general audience also understands that opera houses are not being passive but are actually really proactive on certain topics and it's remarkable to see also um, certain organizations what they're pushing forward already today in these areas and um, to to create more awareness around that and that's what we want to try to support um, with with obviously financial means but also of course with, with the network and visibility activities that we're going to be rolling out soon. You know, exactly as you said, you know, Fedora and the way that it's operating at the moment is positioning itself to kind of reinforce the value of the performing arts and of the arts sector and, and actually that it is a place of innovation and sustainability and diversity and inclusion and all of these areas. And it's, it is as important and should be considered alongside someone's portfolio of philanthropic giving. course all are welcome but who else would you hope to see working in our field in the future it would be really interesting to speak with more people who have knowledge on tech and data mining and help behind the scenes in organizations to really, really drive efficiency there and and harness also the, the intelligence of data. And I think um, there's so much potential there. There's so much information that opera companies have also about, you know, ticket buyers, donors, etc. But it's also about knowing how to make sense of all of that and to have great systems that integrate all of that and give everyone access to work with as well is, is really, really key. And there's some excellent organizations who are already building this. But um, in the long term, I think that dialogue between tech and culture is, is going to be more and more relevant, not meaning that tech will take over. It's more about saying, how can we mutually benefit from the two sides of the brain in a way, you know? And that's the art and the science for me. It's the relationships. And then it's all of the clever databases that sit underneath everything that remind us what conversation we might have had with someone, you know, six months ago or something fundraising is quite a good career if you want to future-proof your career because actually people will always let's hope want to be generous in some way or other you know it's not this isn't a profession that's going to be whilst we will rely on tech and I really hope there are more innovations in the future it's going to always require that kind of human touch, if you like, because it's about relationships. I couldn't agree more. Social emotional intelligence is so key in fundraising and a human relationship. It's what it is about. And that's how you also build value in terms of getting commitment and the energy that goes into it and comes out of it. It's, it's trifle, actually. It really is. It, it is. It's very it's full of um a lot of very meaningful things. However, one of the phrases that I was always given very early in my career from someone was, there's no such thing as a fundraising emergency. We are not separating twins at birth. But sometimes it can feel that way occasionally when you are trying to get everything to line up to be able to close that gift or catch that person or speak to this individual at the right time in the right place. And you're, you're trying to line everything up to make it work. It goes back to that building trust making it all feel very personal, but also not taking anything too, too personally. 
Yeah, not at all. Because it's, the thing is, it's not, it's, not, it's not about us fundraisers. It's about the causes. It's about the people who want to make a difference, who want to have an impact. And it's about seeing those projects happen. We fundraisers are building the bridge between those two worlds and are trying to connect the dots. And the more efficiently we can do that, the better we can you know, contribute to that value. Absolutely, it's not at all personal. There are so many reasons why things happen and why they don't happen. How have the events of the last year impacted what you do? We were able to adapt very, very quickly. So basically within 48 hours, we were all working remotely from our homes and really reinvented everything that we did in terms of, you know, still delivering on our on our commitments towards, for instance, the European Commission and our donors and, you know, sourcing talent, going through the competition cycle, but obviously doing everything in a digital format. And that, of course, was a huge challenge because we're not we don't have an expertise in that area. But I was so impressed by the entire team of how quickly they were coming up with solutions and actually gaining knowledge, building skills themselves out of curiosity and coming up with ideas of how to do things differently. And now we reinvented new formats that we want to actually keep uh, going forward. That was one side. So there's always a silver lining in things. And the other side is how do you cope with something that goes unplanned? So because of COVID, for instance, we couldn't transfer funds from the European Commission to opera houses that were dedicated to events and performances. But we wanted to absolutely transfer those funds that were on hold for the performing arts sector in a context of crisis. So what we were able to do within a very short period is to come up with a amendment proposal to actually redirect all those funds towards digital activities that opera houses were now putting together. And this was literally the only thing that opera houses could do in this time period. So um, it was also trying to then work that need into a legal framework that is accepted by the European Commission so that they would release the funds and that we could forward them to the sector. And I think that's again comes back to when you're aligned with your donor and you're working towards a specific objective, you come together and you find a solution. And, and, and that, I think, at the end of the day, makes you survive also those kind of difficult periods and creates value for everyone who's involved. And exactly. I mean, we were so, um, I remember speaking to you on the phone in the middle of the year last year, Delia, and, and we were saying, yes, okay, I don't know how we're, okay, we'll have to just reconfigure this thing. And what about if we did it this way? And what do you need me to do now? How can we make it work um, in terms of our participation in the Fedora prizes last yes. year? And, um, but we were both, you know, we're kind of in it together on different continents, you know, supporting teams working remotely. You know, one of my team organized these amazing virtual events for donors and, and a couple of them recently also organized one that was a kind of immersive back to Saddler's Wells tour that was all virtual. And, you know, donors were going into studios and adverted commas and talking to artists and things like that. And if you'd asked me 18 months ago, would we be doing things like that? I thought, no, no way. We just invite people to come and watch a beautiful performance and maybe have a glass of wine. And we talk to them about the work, but no, it's all become so much more informal. Um, and, uh, and and close actually and 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 also very effective Yes, it's, it's definitely brought us all closer. Um, it's also made things more human. People are much more comprehensive, understanding, willing to find, you know, alternative ways. And also in terms of speed, there's been a huge uh, boost in the quickness in which now organizations are able to react or find also intermediary solutions that are maybe not uh, completely perfect, but, you know, kind of work. And also this trial and error um, thing of, you know, trying, you know, test and learn mentality has has really been also a lifesaver in, in this period. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a final question here. So what does a great day look like for you? 
you know, I mean, I'm picturing you waking up in Paris and having the most gorgeous <laughs> walk to work <laughs> rather than I, spending an hour on the tube. For that. <laughs> well, I must say um, Paris is a wonderful city to wake up in. I would say there are multiple ingredients. Having reason to smile and being happy because of all kinds of good news, um, seeing a, a team being super motivated, coming up with an amazing idea, and that we all are just really happy to just work it out. And it, it, that's super encouraging. And then and very special calls um, are also when, when you inform people about good news and you're actually the deliverer of good news. That's that's also really fun. And and the sense of what you do and what you put so much energy in, uh, into is, is having an impact and you see things building and having thought about something and then you see it um, materializing is just such a great experience. And being able to build that with people that you very much appreciate and um, value and being also accompanied by mentors who believe in you and believe in the organization and are around to give advice and trust you is is such a such an incredible experience and gives you wings yeah feeling that you have wings is is a great great encouragement and yeah happy days <laughs> Happy days, indeed. I mean, it is happy days when you get a massive check from somebody to be like, now go make this dance, go make this opera, go make this play. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is amazing. And I know you've asked me before, like, what happens when you get that check? Do you really, you know, celebrate and things? And honestly, of course you do. But it, you just so often you're thinking, OK, how do we make it happen? And how do we find more money for the next project? One of the things I really loved hearing her talk about is this mixing between connecting the dots going, this is what we want to do. And these are humans who care about these things. How do I connect those dots? And then knowing what motivates someone. It felt like a real masterclass in human psychology and about bringing pieces together. Yeah. It's that whole left, left side of the brain, right side of the brain. It is about building really personal relationships with people, especially on the individual giving side. But you know what? Even in corporate giving or in trust and foundations, in the end, you're dealing with humans every single day mm. who you need to keep on side. And you just want them to think, oh, you know, Phoebe's calling me. I'm sure she's got something fun to say rather than, oh, Phoebe's calling me. Arts organizations, charities up and down the country have fundraising departments. They, they need them. That's part of the bread and butter. And so there are jobs. In Loads this. of jobs. Totally. If you, if you want to work anywhere, be a fundraiser, because you pretty much you can always find a job. And the thing is, is that the kinds of jobs there are really do suit all different types of skill sets and personalities. So if you're amazing with numbers, you can work in a maybe a slightly more operational role within a fundraising team. If you're amazing at building relationships, you could work in a more front facing role, like whether it's an individual giving job or a manager or something like that. And if you're someone who is amazing at putting together beautiful events, that's also a really crucial part of fundraising. So when I'm looking for those jobs, what, what are they called? Development officer, development manager, development assistant, that kind of thing. Generally, the word development in the fundraising landscape of this country is what you're looking for. What else could you do with that experience or that skill set? Oh, you can go anywhere with it. You can take it anywhere in the world because everywhere needs fundraisers for a start. If you don't want to stay in fundraising, it's the same skill set as sales or marketing, really, to a certain extent, with a, with a bit of difference, for mm -hmm. sure. It's a combination of a kind of creative art of storytelling and financial rigor and business understanding, which is invaluable wherever you go. 
Yeah, I could put that on a CV and, and feel pretty confident, I think. Yeah. So once a big thank you to Adelia for dialing in to speak to us all the way from Paris. Would have loved to have done it in person, but... That's just because you wanted to go to Paris. That's of course what I wanted to go to Paris. So go to the Fedora platform and find out more about what they do. Arts Work is brought to you by Sadler's Wells in association with Barclays Dance Pass. Your hosts are Ankur Bahal and Phoebe Ree. The producer is Hester Kant, and the series is mixed by Paul Brogdon. If you enjoyed this episode or found it interesting or informative, and you can think of somebody else that you think would like this, make sure to share it with them. If you could leave us a review, that would be amazing. It helps other people find it. It would mean so much to us as well. Join us next time.